It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. Somewhere we made the crazy chicane to crazy town, and I'm here to sort it out. It's me, Victoria Taft. The Chauvin trial, Ashley Babbitt, Dante Wright, and you guessed it, more Antifa and BLM riots. Hey, if it's today, it's riot day. Now, remember I last time said bad syntax, but I said that the next Antifa versus Mike Strickland episode would be today. And I started looking at my notes for his sentencing, and I am telling you, we need to camp out on this one. So I need a little grace, and we'll perfect it for the next episode. Now, I just have to tell you, at the sentencing hearing, the people who surrounded me and attended his sentencing were Antifa's answer to the Star Wars cantina scene. No, seriously. Among them, people you know if you know Antifa. If you if you don't, be here because it gets crazier. And, I, and I'm not going to lie, scarier. And there was one of the main leaders of Antifa who's been pictured with Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison... There's the guy who was cracked out on intimidating Strickland, backing up the street with him. He was at the court hearing. And among others was the guy who instigated the attack on Mike Strickland, who libeled the journalist, calling him a racist and a fascist and all the other ists that were in such vogue in 2016 before the rest of the stuff happened. And remember, this is 2016. It was just starting And he's in the courtroom asking the judge for leniency for Strickland. And there's me, taking notes in the back of the courtroom, being threatened by a serial criminal in Antifa. I mean, you cannot make stuff like this up. And I sure didn't, and I wanted to make sure I told it right, so it's next time. All right, you can fade that Star Wars cantina music, Kenny. So... I'm taking more time, and we're going to get it to you next episode. A little housekeeping here. Get in touch with me on all my social sites. Most of them are eponymous, at Victoria Taft, at the Adult in the Room podcast, on Twitter, Facebook, Parler, MeWe, Minds, and wherever you get your information. And I'm going to be filling in again for Todd Herman. Yes, that Todd Herman, who fills in for the Rush Limbaugh show. And here's me backing up that guy. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. So anyway, a couple of days next week, I'll be filling in again for Todd Herman. So that's always a genuine pleasure. His audience is par excellence. So be there, huh? You can be there. Be one of my audience members and always get in touch with me at at Victoria Taft. And if you want to send me some tips and people do, you can always DM me on Twitter or you can always email me at Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com. That crazy Antifa lady did. Yeah, that's been fun stuff. So that's what's going on. All right. Now, the news of the day, the news of the week. It has been amazing. Amazing. The things going on in the news remind me of the third world. We are. It is the third worlding of America. You know that, right? This is what's going on. When you have no rule of law, you have 
no country. When you have no borders, you have no country. And that's what's happening. And we've got to stop it. We have to arrest it as soon as possible. The uh, leftists in charge of the government uh, are now talking about packing the Supreme Court, not just talking about it. They've introduced a bill. I mean, this is uh, what Haile Selassie and his wife, highly suspicious, as my old colleague Bill Balance used to say, would do. They would approve of these latest antics by the mob in the state. Several examples in the news. Reminder, Officer Kim Potter had her name and her address put out there after the shooting of DeWante Wright and now has had to evacuate her home because it's been surrounded and she can't go home anymore unless she wants to be killed. And the capital shooter of Ashley Babbitt, the officer, well, it was announced on Wednesday that the case against him was wrapped up and he was cleared of the shooting. Now, she was the woman who broke through the window of the Capitol building. It was inside, and she was going to penetrate the inside area where the congressional representatives were being removed. She was shot dead without warning. Several law enforcement officers around her. Several others not climbing through a window behind her. Generally speaking, you don't see a lot of cops doing that. They usually, well, they usually will take into consideration people behind. But apparently he was ready. He took her out. And um, now the initial report said she got shot in the neck and died almost instantaneously. Other reports said she got shot in the chest and died almost instantaneously. And now we find out from the Department of Justice that she was shot in the shoulder the the shoulder very interesting no so one of the photographers who shot if you will got the video of her shooting sammy montoya he was nearby and he's one of uh, alex jones guys and he was near that black lives matter activist that jaden x dude who said he urged ashley babbitt to climb through the window and said, we're going to burn this mf or down. And you know that guy, that Jaden X guy? He's not even in prison awaiting trial like everyone else or almost everyone else is. How is that? He was an instigator and apparently sold a story to two news outlets um, and then bragged about his role on January 6th. So he, he gave an interview on a news show, local local Utah station for him, describing what it was like to be next to Ashley Babbitt after she was shot. And what happened to that guy? What happened? I'm going to find out because you and I both know, if you listen to this podcast, uh, it's just amazing what has happened. And unfortunately, for some of these people who were just all wrapped up in the emotion, went into the Capitol building, basically trespassing, seriously, basically trespassing and then getting sent to the the, the rack, basically with, you know, being put in, in solitary. So this is just an amazing thing. So on Wednesday, the feds issued a statement saying the officer was cleared in the shooting. And here it is from the DOJ. I'm not going to read all of it. Lord have mercy. But it says the U.S. Attorney's Office for D.C. um, have wrapped up their investigation of the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. Officers examined video footage from social media, statements from the officer involved, et cetera, et cetera. There's insufficient evidence to support a criminal prosecution. 
The investigation further determined that Ms. Babbitt was among the mob of people that entered the Capitol building and gained access to the hallway outside the Speaker's lobby, which leads to the chamber of the U.S. House of Representatives. And at the time, USCP, that's the U.S. Capitol Police, um, was evacuating members of the chamber. And apparently there was just an all clear to go shooting people coming through. And then they say that she was shot in the shoulder. Shoulder. Um, well, I mean, maybe I watched too many movies or something, but really, the shoulder? How did somebody get the neck confused with the shoulder? How would somebody get the chest confused with the shoulder? I mean, was it that the shoulder... I mean, I don't know. I don't even know. But there's much more to the story that we're not being told, including the name of the officer. And yet, the case is closed, and the name of the officer, a man... Is not identified. No, we get it. I mean, the people on the right, they are, they all get it because we know what happens to cops. And uh, but it's not the not us doing it. No, we're not out there doxing and shooting people and stuff like that. And the thing I, I don't want the cop chased down. And it's likely a justified shooting. They certainly found out that it was after an investigation. But let's let's not kid ourselves here notwithstanding the fact that this was inside the Capitol. Come on, there's been crazy stuff inside the Capitol building before. There's always the the nutballs from the anti-war movement. There was the intimidation of the U.S. Senate during Brett Kavanaugh's hearing, Brett Kavanaugh. And there's also, remember when uh, AOC brought in all these people and they chained themselves into uh, Nancy Pelosi's office? Did she press the panic button? No, 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 no. So, you know, just to remind ourselves, to remind ourselves, we've got an Antifa and BLM body count. These are murder victims. The latest being a Q, the crazy machine, Capitol Hill police officer run over by a BLM nutter. And all we hear in the news is that he was hit by a car. He was hit by a car by a leftist who wanted to kill him because he hates cops. And you might say to yourself, well, what about Officer Sicknick? Well, it's a horrible thing what happened to Officer Sicknick, and it will be even more horrible the moment we find out what actually killed him the day after the Capitol riot. So that would be helpful to have that information. But the BLM has got five cops assassinated in Dallas, Two cops assassinated in their car in New York. Billions in lost business due to fires and looting and intimidation. And we're supposed to keep giving money to the faux Marxist grifting BLM so that that chick can buy four houses? You know, come on, man. Besides uh, trying to get rid of cops by literally running them over or shooting them or making them leave, as so many have had to do from Portland, Seattle, uh, in, in Minneapolis and other cities that are, quote unquote, defunding the police. Now, I don't want to rant on that. I mean, this, this is not a rant on these guys, uh, but it is, because let's just be honest, that's what's going on in the news. And I'm just telling you what's going on. And, and I happen to have some insight here. And so I just want to share it with you. Uh, this is ridiculous and madness. I just want to say that out front. But here's worse. This is it gets worse. According to the officials of Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, the scene of the latest riots when, you know, Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis aren't doing anything during a trial, the home of the virtuous pistol whipper, Duante Wright, and let's get one, one thing straight, 
That was a horrific shooting. Let's just get that out of the way right now. I mean, as an aside, do, do you announce you're going to tase a suspect who's fighting off the cops after diving back into the cockpit of a car? Yes, you do announce it. So your fellow officer doesn't touch him when the prong or whatever kind of taser you have um, touches the suspect and gets him into a compliance mode. So, yes, you do announce it. Taser, taser, she says. OK. And then she reaches apparently to the completely other side of her service belt and pulls out her pistol and shoots him. And she's she's been a cop for like 20 plus years. I mean, she, she knows. I mean, she should know. And she blew it. And she blew him away. And that's a terrible thing. We'll find out more, though. I really don't think we should string her up yet. Okay? But already, they've strung her up. She's been charged with second-degree manslaughter. Because obviously she didn't intend for him to die. She was just trying to tase him. It's clear, at least so far. I mean, you never know because the Chauvin's trial, Chauvin trials taught us a lot. And it's to please wait. The first reports are always wrong. Always wrong. Just like the city manager, uh, Kurt Bogany of Brooklyn Center, he said, we will accord everyone equally under the law the presumption of innocence and due process. This is the right accorded by God under the United States Constitution. And he said that. He said, presumption of innocence, due process. Here's him saying it. Uh, all employees working for the city of Brooklyn Center uh, are entitled to due process with respect to discipline. Uh, this employee will receive due process, and that's really all that I can say today. And then at the presser, a reporter told him, Duante Wright did not get due process in that situation. She needs to be fired immediately. And she was. And then you know what happened to the city manager for standing up for civil rights for the officer? He was fired. This, this is a new dystopia. This is new and exciting, and it's sort of like it depends on if you're in the in crowd as to what kind of due process you're going to get. Now, you can't even stand up for due process without look being fired and shamed by people who apparently don't understand what due process is. They are so convinced that due process is a white man's thing when all of Western civilization, all of the legal portion of the Western civilization foundational documents have at its core due process. But oh no, that's that's the white man saying, hey, I know maybe it is, but maybe it works. How about that? Maybe it actually works. So, and then we know what happened after that? After I mean he was he was fired. A city council member who voted to fire the black, he the guy was black City manager, not that you could tell because he was like going like this because he had a woke mask on and you can't understand what they're saying. Okay, so here's what a city council member said after she voted to fire the city manager for saying, you know, due process. We need to accord due process. He was doing a great job. I respect him dearly. 
I didn't want repercussions at a personal level, said Brooklyn Center Council member Chris Lawrence Anderson of her vote to fire city manager Kurt Bogany. Uh, let's just hear that one more time, and I promise I won't use my stupid voice for you. I didn't want repercussions at a personal level. She didn't want to be outed, doxxed, and whatever by Black Lives Matter and their shock troops in Antifa. She was afraid of being harassed or hurt by BLM. Social profiling that happened in this situation. Mm-hmm. We are standing in solidarity mm-hmm. and calling for the firing of this officer. Mm-hmm. You have talked about her having due process, mm-hmm. although Dante Wright did not get due process in that situation. She needs to be fired immediately to send a message that this type of behavior will not be condoned within the city of Brooklyn Center. Thank you. I, pre- I appreciate those comments. Sure. You didn't give due process to Dante Wright, did you? Yeah, that's true. They were trying to give due process to him because, you know what happens, you know what happens is um, if he hadn't resisted arrest and started fighting with the cops and then diving back into his car from which he was going to get who knows what, we have no idea. He was being accorded his, his due process rights. There has to be a reason that they pulled him over. And they had this pretextual BS that they said was an expired tag. And indeed, maybe it was. OK, maybe it was. But the real reason they were pulling the guy over is because he also had an outstanding warrant and had also been uh, uh, janked up on gun charges. What's he reaching for in his car? And by the way, the cops knew this. OK, they knew that. So here's what she does. The cop. This is the one who's been fired, doxxed, run out of town on a rail for a mistake. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness in this world anymore. That's it. And you know what that is? That is not a problem of the law. That is a problem of the heart. And you got to know that. These people, these Marxists in charge of BLM, there's no room for God, only for them. And they're in charge. By the way, give me money so I can buy four houses. So you can't go home because of BLM and other rioters and they've doxxed her and it's and the city is in flames. Do you don't think that for one second they wouldn't dare set her house on fire? Why not? Everything else is fair game. Ah, which brings us to the Derek Chauvin trial or Chauvin. I'm sorry, Chauvin, Derek Chauvin, whom BLM claims intentionally decided to go out and murder a black guy that day because that's the story with every single one of these rare, though occurring, incidents of police killing people, right? Doesn't mean, unarmed doesn't mean more white people are killed by cops every day anyway or, you know, every month. But nevertheless, doesn't excuse it, just saying. They want, they want you to believe that he intentionally killed George Floyd, a guy he actually had worked with as a bouncer. Remember that whole thing? 140-pound bouncer. Okay. I mean, what they hired Derek Chauvin for? 140-pound bouncer? I mean, you, who do you hire? You hire George Floyd. That's what you hire. That guy's that size, 6'4 to 6'6. Six, six. It depends on what news agency you listen to. And he's like 240. I mean, uh, yeah, you're not going to pull any shenanigans at the club if that dude's standing out there and, and it says he'll come get you if you do anything wrong. Duh. Derek Chauvin? I mean, I don't know. Crazy. 
So the prosecution wrapped up its case in chief. And you want to know about this because you're not going to hear about this anywhere else unless you either read my pieces over PJ Media, listen to Barnes or listen to our friend Andrew Branca. You're not going to hear it um, because you need to know this because the prosecution was horrible last week or in the week before, especially. So um, I wrote a piece over there from which I will read just a little bit, and I don't want to bore you too much, but just suffice it to say, there are some things you need to know. So Siobhan is accused of three counts of the prosecution's hopes that will get him on something. The prosecution hopes that by adding the third charge, which they had to go to appeals court to overrule the judge. And where are you going to go to the appeals? It's a state appeals court. Who's in charge of the attorney general's office? That's right. Keith Ellison, friend of Antifa. I, You know, maybe he is as straight and narrow as the day is long. And maybe he's not. And my my guess is that he's not especially after sandbagging this trial. And it has been sandbagged. As defense attorney Robert Barnes says, the prosecution must have established intent to cause bodily injury and harm under manslaughter and still must prove to intent that Siobhan thought he was going to kill Floyd in the top count against him. So they've got a, they've got a ways to go, but nevertheless, it's easier because they added that third count in and it will make them easier it'll make it easier that third degree um, murder depraved mind means that the prosecution has to prove chavon caused the death of floyd nothing more so that's what the prosecution's going for they're going okay we got to figure out i mean um, was it the was it the drugs was it the deadly combo of fentanyl and meth in a system that caused his death that caused him to stop breathing as their theory of the death goes is is that it Oh, no, no, no. Was it the fact that um, he was, George Floyd had COVID, um, that he was an incessant smoker, just hold on, hold on, and had heart heart problems? What Did that have anything to do with it? Oh, no, 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 of course not, said the prosecution's uh, star, star witness, who, by the way, volunteered his time to do this. <laughs> he was paid that day to be in court and... And for hundreds of hours of work, he didn't get paid. Like, oh, well, I just don't and donated my time. I thought it might be it might be interesting for me to be participating in this particular case. That's because he was sandbagging for the prosecution. He thought so much that George Floyd had just been wronged. And and so maybe he does really think that. Of course, he probably thinks that. But hold hold the phone here. I mean, don't we have some ability to take into consideration the fact that you're working for free because you just really want to be part of this trial and you think it's a a ticket to some other stepping stone in criminal uh, prosecution or defense expert testimony and expert witness gigs? Of course. Of course. And it's very odd. Be that as it may. So he said, oh, no, absolutely not. The only thing, the only thing, he said, the only thing that killed George Floyd was Siobhan's knee on his neck. And then he, (laughs) then the defense attorney shows him and had previously also shown the video of Siobhan's knee not on his neck, on his back. And all of a sudden, oh, 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 no. Prosecution goes, oh my God, we better we better make clear what our case is. We have to do that. So basically they said, well, the prone position that George Floyd, by the way, wanted to be in, and not to say that he wouldn't have had any choice in the matter, but he did uh, get himself out of the car. You know, I got to get out of here. I can't breathe. I have COVID. And he said, I have 
COVID in the back of the police car before they put him on the ground uh, next to the traffic and a tire of the police cruiser. So I mean, I was going to give you all this info. Go read my story at PJ Media. <laughs> There's there is so much in there. You need to read it. I I'm just gonna say, and it'll be in the show notes, so you can, you can do it. It's just been amazing. I let me tell you something else that's happening at the trial. The defense has taken over, and and what we found out was the day before that uh, guy was just laughing about, who was a horrible witness, by the way. I mean, for me, just personally, it was just not because I want uh, the. It's nothing, nothing having to do necessarily with the the actual testimony. It had to do with that he was so sure of himself, and oh no, it ha- smoking is not that bad for you. Oh no, you know what? Fentanyl is not that bad for you. It couldn't. No, he literally said. Stuff like that. And all the, you know, we're all looking at each other. Wait, what? I mean, if it's not, then why are we having all these smoking cessation programs? Why are half our tax dollars going to this big tobacco settlement? We have to pay for it. We have to, you know what I'm saying? It's just a big, it's a big, we already knew it was a big sham anyway. But here you've got a doctor in a case and he's testifying in this high level case that probably millions of people are watching. And they're going, wait, smoking's not bad for <laughs> wait fentanyls wait i thought fentanyl was bad aren't opioids really bad i mean haven't we been told this isn't this uh, you know terrible thing in our country well of course it is and it is really bad but not if you listen to that guy and all of a sudden george floyd well, you know he was strong do you realize that taking fentanyl as much as he did and all kinds of oxycodone and percocets um, made his heart stronger he literally said that he literally said that. And we're all looking. I say we're all because I'd have to believe I'm, I'm not alone. So that guy was, I mean, that was crazy. That was crazy. But that was evidence, expert testimony delivered in this trial. And the night before, the defense attorney got all the documents he was going to testify off of using those documents. He got them the night before. And indeed, it's happened throughout the trial. You know, this has been going on a while. I mean, I would say that you know, it, it's not quite a year, but I mean, they've known, the prosecutors have, that the defense is going to want certain discovery in the case. And they have mutual discovery rules, I assume, in Minneapolis. And indeed, they they do. And you're supposed to be able to, to give the defense so, you know, the defense can defend the defendant. The information you've got. And guess what? They just dumped this week 5,000 pages of documents on the defense attorney. Do you know how many attorneys they have? The prosecution, all these hand-picked white shoe, Minneapolis and other Beltway attorneys that have volunteered to work on this case. You know you know how many they have? They have like 12 attorneys, okay? There are four main attorneys that are triers of fact and part of the on-camera prosecution. And then in the, the background, you've got all kinds of people helping. And you know how many people are helping Chauvin or Chauvin? One. And then there's the lady in the back that you can see on TV, and she's the evidence lady, and she puts up all the exhibits. 
And then there's Derek Chavon sitting next to him taking notes about who knows what. And I don't know to what extent he is helping his attorney. I'm sure there's a, a paralegal in there somewhere back at the ranch, you know, making copies. I have no idea what the hell she's doing or he's doing. But I know they don't have 12 people. I know that. And they dumped all this stuff. And we found that out this morning in motions. I say this morning because it's Wednesday morning. I'm doing this. So the defense has taken over in the first day on direct testimony with riots outside uh, and and, uh, the jury going, oh, okay, we're supposed to pack a bag soon because this case is going to be over soon. And he's not going to make us check this. The judge is not going to make us do any deliberations over the weekend if, in fact, the trial is over by then, because he doesn't want to begin sequestration, which he's promised to do when they are deliberating the case. And so he doesn't want them to do that over the weekend. He wants them to start on Monday after the riots. Oh, don't watch the news, he says. Oh, okay, we won't. <laughs> oh, my city's burning, but I can't no do do. I can't watch the news. I mean, it's in, it's insane. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's it's bad. It's bad. Well, so anyway, the defense took over. And on the first day of the direct testimony, the defense had a bad day with its use of force witness. At least Andrew Bronca didn't like him. I thought the guy was okay because basically at a previous use of force witness brought by the prosecution, that guy was so bad and was so in love with the sound of his own voice and just never wanted to say no or agree with the person who's asking him the questions, i.e. the defense attorney, that he would just go through all kinds of manipulations and pretzel logic and all kinds of nuttiness to get to finally, oh yeah, no. But it would take like, it would take take like 60 seconds. And it just seems like, you know when your kids are lying to you? Well, you know, I... Well, it's her fault, but I just, you know, and then and then I just went around over there and and uh, then I oh, happened to see that person. And the next thing I know, I'm stealing from the store. And that's what this guy was like. I mean, it was just insane. So to me, the use of force expert by the defense the first day wasn't that bad. He said what you expected him to say because they're hired for their opinions, after all, and he didn't try those shenanigans with the prosecuting attorneys where you're just you sound guilty and you don't want to you don't want to agree. And so you try to talk your way out of it agreeing. And the fact is, you look worse when you try to get out of it. Just say it. Say yes or no. Get the hell out of the question. Make him say something else. And and He did. He did. And so I, I, Branca thought it was terrible. I, I, you know, I'm he's obviously an attorney who tries cases and I don't. So that was his opinion. Fair enough. But at least it was uh, it wasn't as horrible as that guy that the prosecution called. So and then the, the second witness, the second witness was very, very interesting because it wasn't much testimony. It was basically a park officer who backed up the cops, jacking up George Floyd. He watched the car in Mercedes SUV that the drug dealer, George Floyd, and his ex, Shawanda, were sitting in. We finally found out who Shawanda was. We finally found out who that chick was in the car. It wasn't his fiance. It was his ex, Shawanda, who testified and who, by the way, is as sketched out as you can imagine. She's not sketchy. She was very attractive. What I'm saying is, in terms of meth sketch, okay, 
it was it was nuts. She was fidgety. I mean, it, it, go watch that testimony. <laughs> Holy crow! Um, but she said she wasn't high at the time, so you got to give her. I got her a little. Give her a little credit. She assured the judge before the jury was brought in she was not using at that moment. So, yeah, where am I? Oh yes. Oh, so the video that was shown in court. You know what the best part about the video is? The audio, which you're going to hear, and a couple of backgrounders. So you got Shawanda, the ex, who saw him at the store. By the way, do we really believe she just found him at the store? Or do you think that she was part of the whole deal about passing the fake $20 bills at the behest of Maurice, who's the drug dealer? Well, Maurice was also in the car. Shawanda was in the car. Floyd was in the car. Uh, George Floyd, and she made some very interesting comments about George Floyd in the car. He was asleep. He couldn't be awakened immediately. He had to be continually um, tapped and and, uh, awakened so that he would, hey, we got to go. We got to go. And uh, this is something that came up in the prosecution's case saying that, well, he wasn't sleepy. This fentanyl always makes people sleepy. And guess what? George Floyd was sleeping right right up until the cops came, tapped their uh, flashlight on the window. And then when he just ignored him because he was like half asleep because of the fentanyl, had he been ingesting because the cops were there? And uh, before that, too, uh, then they got the gun out and all hell broke loose. So anyway, this is the video. And I want you to know who these the voices are. It's Shawanda and Maurice, um, who gave the cop a fake name. You'll hear that. Uh, he says it's uh, uh, Ricardo, I think. But now listen, they say that Floyd is resisting and resisting for several minutes. And oh, now he's going to jail. That's basically what Shawanda said. Listen, beware there is some potty talk. Is anybody going to check my name? Because I, my daughter on her way here to get me. All right, where's the ID? I don't have it. I gave my All right, why don't you just stand right there, okay? They know who gave them the money and whatnot. Okay. 320, can you repeat that? She has to give my partners their names or no? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we already yeah. did. Yeah, Zed? Okay. Did he write it down? Uh, yep. Did he wrote down everything? Okay, stay put, all right? Let's see what my partner does. Damn, he still won't get in the car. Just sit down, dude. Dude, they got to push him in this car. Look, he's fighting to get out. That's fucking resistance. What is he doing? Now he's going to jail. All he had to do was... Not a nigga going Can y'all give him his phone now, please? We'll see what happens, all right? You guys just stay put and tell, tell my partner to come back here. Oh, 
You guys don't have your IDs on you? I already gave them one, man. So, you've got the cop saying, well, there's a crowd. I'm concerned about the crowd. Um, he's securing the car. He's not going in the car. And when he showed up, guess what was what Shawanda and Morris, uh, that would be Ricardo to you, were doing in the car. They were getting, oh, they were just getting out their stuff. I Oh, gee, I wonder what that was. They were just, yeah, they were getting out the stuff. Oh, we're just getting our phones, they said. Um, yeah, oh, okay, Shawanda. Okay. <laughs> He's there. He's, he's seen on video throwing stuff away later. But anyway, uh, it's just amazing. Second day of the defense was fairly good day for Chauvin, as you would expect, because it's their case. So they try to make him look, look as good as possible. Right. I mean, that's what happens. But that wasn't for lack of trying uh, by the prosecution, who, as I mentioned before, had dumped document dumped on previously asked for documents this week. So stated better, previously asked for documents for the defense from the prosecution were dumped this week, the third week of the trial. Now, uh, 5,154 pages of stuff that the one attorney has to get up to speed on by tomorrow. Now, that's not fair. And that is not due process, and that is probably going to be something that he'll bring up in an appeal. And indeed, he did ask for a an acquittal before court happened on Wednesday. And of course, he didn't get an acquittal, but he put it on the record because he's going to he's keeping a record. Every good attorney, you know this, right? So every good attorney, if they're when they're trying a case, they always have these little markers, these little sort of Easter eggs they stick in the case. So if something goes not their way and they want to appeal the case, they can they can hearken back to those things and say these are the appealable offenses or appealable things, claims that we will make in the next appeals court or for moving for a new trial. So I just want you to know that. So dumping 5,154 documents on the defense attorney, the lone defense attorney during his case in chief, the third week of the trial, sounds to me like bad faith. Gee, I wonder why. So as I said, there are about 12 attorneys working for the prosecution, the four main trial lawyers and all of their underlings and Siobhan and his attorney and the chick who puts up the evidence for the court on the TVs. And they're swamping him with paperwork. The night before Dr. Tobin testified was the night Eric Nelson, the defense attorney, got the unique information that guy would testify on the next day. And he looked like uh, Eric Nelson looked like he hadn't gotten one whit of sleep the next day. He was hoarse. He was clearly, you couldn't hear him very well. He was not sharp, and now you know why. So you might think, you might think, oh, well, you know, all's fair and war and love, and or something. And, um, yeah, but when you're on national TV and you're really trying to police shenanigans on the other opposing side, look, you got, things are not looking good for Siobhan, okay? Okay? So why? 
Why do that? This is madness. This is madness. Then, meantime, outside, yeah, riots, riots. There should have been a change of venue. I know I am the lone the lone wolf on this. And by that, I mean the people of a certain status with trial experience say, well, you know, he wouldn't have gotten a fair shake anywhere in Minnesota. So what are you asking for that? Well, I don't know. Maybe so that there wouldn't be any fires outside when you're trying to get the jury in and out. Or you don't need necessarily 5,000 National Guard troops to get them to safety. Or they don't worry about themselves. You know what? I will tell you that a lot of those jurors didn't worry. And, I'll, and I know why. Because they think they know what they're going to say. That, of course, Siobhan did it and he should be uh, charged with murder or and or manslaughter and or the third degree um, uh, with uh, George Floyd's death, we have nothing to fear. They, we will, they will throw parades for us. That's what they're thinking. That is sick and wrong. <laughs> Just amazing. Okay, one more thing before we go. And I apologize. I'm sort of ranting, and uh, and I usually like to have more fun than this. But there is a revelation. There is a revelation that you knew. You knew inside your gut. You knew it in your head. You knew it in your heart. You just like CNN. Remember when Donald Trump was a CNN is fake news? Well, CNN admitted this one big shot at CNN admitted their fake news. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> I mean, you never expected to hear it out loud. But CNN, you know, it's a cesspool of superciliousness. Have you ever watched CNN? I mean, they used to be a news outfit, but now they're just talking heads. You know, it's the Brady Bunch uh, video set up and then people screaming at each other. And that's really basically what it is. It's like Geraldo and Dan Bongino and they're screaming at each other, except there's six of them. And they're usually like five of the six are women. And so I don't know, one's filing her nails and the other ones are screeching. So that's that's what's happening. That's what's happening on CNN. And they are there to react to the day's news, whether it's, oops, I keep hitting that, whether it's real or not. It is a stunning thing. So if you don't like Trump, you don't have to like Trump. Because, and, I, and you'll love this story, uh, but you know inherently that you're supposed to have a semblance of fairness in the news. But CNN obviously does not know that. And according to their technical director, and that is no small fry. That is a big person for particular shows. Charlie Chester, CNN technical director, said he joined CNN because he wanted to help them defeat Donald Trump. And he said they basically became a propaganda arm. Listen to this James O'Keefe expose for Project Veritas of this guy from CNN talking about how they went after Trump. Look what we did. We got Trump back. I am 100% going to say it. And I 100% believe it that if it wasn't for CNN, 
I don't know that Trump would have got voted out. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without saying it, that's what it was, right? Trump uh, was, uh, I, I don't know, like his hand was shaking or whatever. We brought in like so many medical people to like all tell a story that like it was all speculation. But he was like neurological damage, like that, that he was losing it. He's unfit to, you know, whatever. We were, we were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about. You know, that's, that's I think that's propaganda. And he admitted they made stuff up. You know, the hand, the Trump hand, they had experts on talking about what shaking hands mean. They were just making it up. That's not news. That's making news. They're not supposed to make news. They're supposed to report news. Just in case you weren't sure about how this is supposed to work. And so he admitted that they were doing the same thing as we knew to Congressman Matt Gates. If the agenda, say, is to, like, get, like, Matt Gates right now, he's, like, this Republican, like, uh, he's a problem for the Democratic Party because he's so conservative, right? And he could cause a lot of hiccups in passing the laws. So it's... It would be great for the Democratic Party to get him out. So we're going to keep running those stories to keep hurting him and make it so that it can't be buried. That's propaganda. It's helping us in some way. And then later, James O'Keefe was on with Sean Hannity talking about this expose. Interestingly enough, this guy, Charlie Chester, has deleted his LinkedIn page. He's taken down his account. Uh, he said on LinkedIn, Sean, that he was played a pivotal role in the 2020 election at CNN. So this is, I don't know if this is an FEC violation, but the implications are staggering because Google and Twitter prefer CNN in their algorithms and CNN considers themselves the most trusted name in news. But here they are admitting that they're trying to help certain political candidates and they're trying to hide that. Uh, but Sean, there's been radio silence from CNN. No one has been able to get a comment from CNN on this, so we intend to release part two tomorrow, which we think is even worse. Talks about COVID and some of the fraud and misrepresentation the network does as it relates to COVID. So we're just going to keep releasing more tapes, and we do think uh, either this man will be terminated uh, or CNN will have to issue a comment. And then the next day, O'Keefe came out with more and it included his this guy, uh, Chris, uh, what's his name? Charlie Chester, saying that they wanted a lot of people to die of coronavirus because it made their news product even better. And, of course, you know how politicized the information about coronavirus is. Remember, this is at a time when uh, Donald Trump was saying, these are the certain medications that we think or have promise, uh, the, uh, and, and they doxed them or tried to malign them, tried to get people to not take them. And, of course, evidence, product number one is the hydroxychloroquine. Remember that? And how the news media, especially CNN, um, mocked the use of that uh, and said that uh, Trump wanted people to drink bleach. Remember that? CNN came up with that. And it is horrible. I mean, horrible. So, I mean, it is amazing. People actually do that. Uh, they've weaponized the news media, which we knew. We knew that. I mean, I work for a, an opinion 
political site, uh, PJ Media. And so I write my opinion and I use facts because you can't make up your own facts. You have to use the facts that are out there for everybody, unless you're CNN, in which case you make up your own facts. And the guy just admitted it. And there's more to come on that. Holy crow. Disheartening. It really is. And uh, you can do better than CNN. You can do a lot better. Well, that's enough for one hearing. Take heart. See you the next time. And mischief managed. Remember to subscribe, follow, rate five stars, and give me a great review over at your favorite podcast outlets, Apple, Google, and Spotify, to name the big boys. And follow me on social media. I'm over at Parlor, MeWe, Minds, Facebook, and Twitter, at Victoria Taft. Don't forget the Adult in the Room podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Adult in the Room podcast, except Twitter only has room for the Adult in the, Adult in the, at Adult in the. Fine. It works. Get in touch with me at Victoria at VictoriaTaft.com. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for the case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by RC, and it is used by permission. Find RC on all social sites at Raps by RC. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by RC. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.